If you've got a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, grab a Bible in the pew rack in front of you, but join me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Read an article earlier this week on LinkedIn that was entitled, What are the most common bad habits? In the article, it was written earlier this year by an author by the name of Will Moore, but he wrote this. He says, 2022 was a year of the great resignation and quiet quitting. After years of global pandemic and economic unrest, people are rethinking their lives like never before. This year will be a time of profound transformation as people let go of their past conditioning and manifest new reality. We are in the process of continual, painful, but necessary self-examination and releasing old ways. Of course, change begins in a small, minute-by-minute activities, our habits. He goes on to give a list of 30 bad habits that people have, things that uh, are like smoking and excessive drinking, overeating, staying up too late, sleeping in too much, procrastinating, lying, and blaming others for your problems, just to name a few. Now, those are bad habits, things that we want to quit doing, things that we don't want to do anymore. But today, I want us to talk about three powerful habits that we do want to engage in. And I believe that these things will change and revolutionize your life if you can put these things into practice. How many of you know that habits are hard to build and hard to break? How about it, right? Have you ever had a habit that was super hard to break? I know I have. In fact, I still struggle with this. I have this bad habit of biting my fingernails. I've struggled with this my entire life. And uh, I don't really know what to do. I don't want to do this, but I can't seem to stop. I can't seem to get away from it. My parents, they tried a number of different things when I was a kid. I remember my mom she used to put gloves on my hands so that I wouldn't bite my fingernails. Well, I would, as soon as she turned her back, I would take the gloves off. I would bite my fingernails, slip them back on before she saw anything. They tried to put this bitter-tasting flavor on my fingernails, and I would just whitewash it off and then bite my nails again. And then they, they told me, listen, if you don't bite your fingernails for three months straight, we'll get you a dog. I, I wanted a dog so, so bad, and so I, I did it. I actually was able for three months to go without biting my fingernails, but then after I got that dog, that old habit just came right back, and I've struggled to break that habit, and maybe you can relate. Maybe this morning it's something else that you struggle with. There are people who struggle with curse words that they grew up saying. And, you know, um, at the most inconvenient times, those words just seem to pop out of their mouths. They say, I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it. But then they say it. And they've been trying to break that habit. Or maybe it has to do with health. And there's just some bad habits that you're trying to break. Habits are hard to break. And they're hard to build. In fact, these three habits that we're going to be talking about today, if they were easy to build, easy to create, then we would all be doing them. 
but they're very difficult to build, and I'm challenging you today to pay special attention to these three habits because they happen to be three habits that Jesus talks about and emphasizes in Matthew chapter 6. In fact, we could say this, that these are a power trio for fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I don't know if there's anyone here this morning who has ever competed in a triathlon. I, I never have, but I have friends who have. But, but here's the thing about a triathlon. There are three primary disciplines in a triathlon. You have to be able to swim, to cycle, and to run. And you have to be able to do all three of those things well. And so if you are going to win a triathlon, if you're going to compete in a triathlon, then you need to prepare yourself in swimming, prepare yourself in cycling, prepare yourself in running. Being disciplined and, and being great in these three areas will lead to one victory. You could be great in swimming and terrible at running. You're not going to win a triathlon. You could be a great runner, a terrible cyclist. You're never going to win a triathlon. If you're able to master all three disciplines, though, that can lead to a very significant victory. Well, in this passage, Jesus tells us about three disciplines that, when combined together, can create an extraordinarily powerful impact, not only in our spiritual lives, but in every aspect of our lives. Matthew chapter 6 is primarily known for being the place where Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. And in this chapter, you will see Jesus refer to three disciplines. In verse 2, he says, when you give. In verse 5, he says, when you pray. Verse 16, he says, and when you fast. He gives a paragraph to giving, a paragraph to praying, a paragraph to fasting. And you might think that these things are merely spiritual disciplines, but the way that Jesus presents this is that these are disciplines that actually overflow into every area of our lives. That, that these things affect our marriages, they affect our health, they affect our finances, our mental state, our well-being, because they have, they have with them a promise of God's favor, God's reward. And so I want to take a moment here this morning to talk about these three disciplines, and I want to challenge you to practice these things in your life. Now, the first thing that I want you to see here in this passage is that God expects these disciplines in our lives. God expects us to be giving, praying, and fasting. Jesus doesn't say, if you give, if you pray, if you fast. He says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. And so the implication is that if you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, then these are some of the natural expectations that you will engage in. This is not just for the super powerful, extraordinary people. This is not just a one-time event in your life. These are regular habits that disciples of Jesus engage in. Friends, in this passage, Jesus tells us about these habits. And as I was thinking about each of these things, I thought, you know, these things are hard for us to do because they hit in areas of our lives where we tend to cling on to Things that we just don't really want to give up. Giving touches our money. Praying touches our time. Fasting touches our food. 
And some of you might be sitting here today and you're thinking, well, pastor, I can give and I can pray, but fasting? I mean, keep your hands off my food. And some of you are super possessive about your food. I mean, just admit it. The last time that you went to Portillo's, your husband said, ah, I, I don't want any fries. But, but then he tried to reach over and pull a fry out of your fry bag. And you said, hold on, that's my fry. I, if you wanted fries, why didn't you get your own fries? These are my fries. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I, you know that there are people in your life who are always uh, messing with your food. And you say, hey, get your own fries. Your wife says, no, 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 I'm watching my diet. I don't want a piece of cake. And so then she takes a bite of your cake and another bite and another bite. And you're like, what are you doing? Get your own cake. Jesus talks about giving, praying, and fasting, which affects our money, our time, and our food. Each of these things are hard for us to let go of. They're areas that we tend to want to cling on to. They're areas that are difficult to release, but yet they have a powerful impact on our lives when we learn to manage them well. If these things were easy to give up, we would all be doing this all of the time. But, we're, but they're not, and we're not. For example, he talks about giving. The Bible talks a lot about the topic of giving. In fact, um, I, I believe that believers should be the most generous people in the world. I believe that if we understand that our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that our father has all the wealth in the world, that he supplies everything that is needed, we too would be generous. And, and not just in the offering on Sunday mornings, but it would be a lifestyle for us. I, I believe that generosity should characterize the life of every believer. Believer. Listen, let me just say that this church is here today because of the generosity of many of you. I remember when I first was here 20 years ago that we had uh, we, we didn't have a whole lot of people. Our, our, our church was small. Our building was big. There was all of these needs that, that needed to be met, repairs that we were just thinking, how are we ever going to fix all this stuff? And I also remember how even back then when, when we said, you know what, we may have needs, but we are not going to act like we are needy. We, 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 we're not, we, we may not have much, but we are going to give and we're going to give sacrificially in order that the mission of the kingdom of God might continue to spread. And so we were continue, continually committed to setting aside a good part of our budget to missions and to just helping people out here and around the world. And I actually remember having a couple of people come to me back in those days and to say things like, hey, um, you guys are the mission field. You guys are the people who are in need. You know what? You should be like missionaries where people give you money and just um, uh, let, let you uh, do the mission of the work of God. But, but our leadership team at the time, and myself included, we, we knew that even though there were needs, uh, there were needs out there that uh, were greater than the needs that we had. And, and while we want to be good stewards of the property that we have, we want to be good stewards of the resources that God has blessed us with, we also believe that we need to be generous. And God has called us to be generous in giving to others. And we never want to have this mentality of taking from everybody else. 
Listen, you may be a single parent working hard, living paycheck to paycheck, wondering how you are ever going to make that next rent payment. And look, I know that this is super challenging to live in a situation like that, but I just want to encourage you not to start feeling bad for yourself like you have nothing to give to anyone else. Because when you start to think that way, it can lead to these negative mentalities where you don't think that you have any time, any energy, any um, love or generosity or food or sympathy to give to anyone else. And you begin to lose this idea of, uh, of generosity and you get this mentality of thinking that you need to take from everybody else. We need to understand, listen, we may have needs, But we are not going to be needy. We're not going to live like um, we're just hoarding everything and and just waiting for everybody else to hand us something. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. He said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so there's this idea of being generous with the money that we have. But what about prayer? Well, um, prayer is, is hard because it kind of uh, deals with our time and, and how we use our time. And it requires our time. The more, and more than our time, it also <clears throat> requires humility as we approach God. Prayer causes us to say to God, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. And by saying that, what we're doing is declaring that God is high and we are low. When we pray, we are acknowledging that we need God. When we pray, we are saying, I can't do it without you, God. I need a force and a power that is greater than me to intercede in my affairs. God, I need you to do what I cannot do. Prayer causes us to humble ourselves. Prayer causes us to admit that we don't have all the answers. Prayer causes us to bow ourselves before the King of kings and Lord of lords and to acknowledge that we are in a position that is subservient to him, that we say, oh God, I need you. Prayer attacks our pride and it impacts our time. Friends, let me say this. If you are here today and you don't pray or maybe you don't really know how to pray, I think that a big reason for that may be that you just don't know how much you need God. What's keeping you away from prayer is your pride, your self-sufficiency, your self-confidence, and a lack of understanding just how much you need God in every aspect of your life. You're a married couple, if a married couple comes to me and uh, they just have things going on in their lives, they're just really struggling, things aren't going well, and I say to them, hey, have you considered trying marriage counseling together? And the husband says, what? I mean, my wife, she needs that stuff, but I don't. You know what I know in that moment? Pride. You don't want to admit that you have problems that you cannot solve yourself. You you don't want to admit that you need counsel for somebody else. You don't want to admit that you need a third party to walk you through some things. You're too proud to admit that. Well, prayer works in the same way. The, The people who pray are people who are humble. 
Uh, Prayer brings us to our knees. When we pray, we're acknowledging that we are small, finite beings in the presence of an awesome, omnipotent, grand God of the universe who has all power and all might when we don't. He has all the answers and we don't. He has all the miraculous power and we don't. He can open up all the doors and we can't. He, He is everywhere all the time and we're not. Prayer is bowing ourselves before God and acknowledging how awesome he is and how much we need him. Jesus says, when you pray. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 16 through 18 say, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus today, if you are a Christian and prayer isn't a regular habit in your life, then you need to fix that immediately. You say, well, pastor, I don't really know how to pray, but hey, if you gave me a prayer to read, then I'd read it. And listen, I'm not against reading a prayer, and Jesus even gives us a prayer here in Matthew chapter 6, known as the Lord's Prayer. But I don't think that prayer is just reading what somebody else wrote for you. Prayer is something that is from your heart. I mean, what would it be like if I said, hey, um, I don't really know how to talk to my wife, but if you gave me a poem to read to her, I'd read it, and I'd read it every day, and I'd repeat it multiple times. Hope, I, I, I hope that that would make her happy. You know, if I did that, she'd be like, that, that doesn't make me happy at all. I, I, I don't need you to learn a poem. I need to learn to talk to, to her. I need to learn to communicate to her. And you don't need to learn the Lord's Prayer and repeat it over and over again. Don't get me wrong, it's a good example. But you need to learn how to pray. You need to learn how to communicate with God the way a father does with a son, or the way a mother does with her daughter. It takes practice, it takes discipline. But then a third discipline is the discipline of fasting. Now, again... If these things were easy, I think that we'd all be doing them a lot more. Fasting, though, has become a forgotten discipline for many people in the church. In fact, we in 21st century um, uh, do a lousy job of fasting. We think that this is some kind of ancient practice, like, hey, that's what people used to do centuries ago. Isn't that what Jesus and his disciples did? But we don't really do that. Um, In fact, I I think that a lot of us may not even know what this means. We don't know what fasting is. So what is fasting? Well, fasting is going without food. It's abstaining from food for a predetermined period of time for the purpose of more intently seeking the heart and the face of God. It is not eating in order to devote yourself to drawing near to God. And so listen, I know that this is hard. I know that we live in Chicago and we love to eat. But fasting is one of those disciplines that seems to kind of turbocharge your prayer life. It's one of those disciplines that seems to to happen before many of the significant events in the scriptures take place. 
Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days before he ever went public with his ministry. Moses fasted for 40 days before he received the Ten Commandments. Elijah fasted for 40 days before he went into the cave. We, we, we see this over and over, place after place, event after event. People fasting for the purpose of praying so that God would move in extraordinary ways. Jesus was once approached by the, uh, about this by some disciples of John the Baptizer, um, or why some of the disciples of John the Baptizer, they were actually fasting, and the disciples of Jesus, they were not fasting. And so some people came to Jesus and they said, hey, why is it that your disciples don't fast, but the, the disciples of John the Baptizer do? And Jesus says, well, my disciples can't fast because the bridegroom is here with them, because Jesus was still there with them. And he said, the day is coming when I will be taken away, and then my disciples are going to fast again. Today, we live in that period of time between the leaving of Christ and the returning of Christ, where we are called upon to fast and pray. So the first thing that we need to see here is that God expects us to do these things. But secondly, God sees when we give, pray, and fast. God sees. Notice in verse 1 that it's not just that we engage in these habits, but it's the motivation behind our engagement in these habits. Verse 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. The word reward, it's used seven times here in this passage. Give. And there's a reward. Pray, there's a reward. Fast, there's a reward. But he also says, be careful. Did you know that you can fast and pray and give and lose your spiritual reward? Well, Jesus tells us here how we can lose our reward. Now, again, typically uh, disciplines are difficult. They're not things that we love to do. But often we do them because we know that if we do them, something good is coming. People go to college and they engage in the discipline of studying and and writing papers and taking examinations. Typically, not because they so much love the studying, but because they like, or because they like homework, but because they, they know that in the end, they are going to receive a degree. And that degree will open up job opportunities in the future for them. And so they go through the discipline because they know that there is a reward in the end. Some of you get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and you go to the gym and you get on the Stairmaster. Now you hate the Stairmaster because it makes you sweat and it makes your body hurt. But, and you also don't like getting up in the, early in the morning. You, you would rather stay in your bed. I mean, it's nice and warm and cozy. You want to stay there. But why do you do it? Why do you go get on the Stairmaster? Well, you do it so that you can fit into that new pair of jeans that you just bought that were a little bit too tight for you. You, you, you do it because there is a reward in the end. And so it is as well with spiritual disciplines. We fast, we pray, we give, not because it is easy, not because we um, uh, think that this is something that's just fun for us, but because we know that there is a reward, that the favor of God will be coming in our direction. And so this passage says, don't lose the reward, because 
If we're not careful, we can lose the reward of giving. If we're not careful, we can lose the reward of praying. If we're not careful, we can lose the reward of fasting. Look at what Jesus says in verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the, hypocrite, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is, if you give simply so that others will think that you are spiritual, then you've received your reward already. But if you give motivated by God opportunities, because he's calling you to give, then you will receive a reward from him. It's like the guy who's walking down the street, he sees a homeless person, he, he pauses for a second, notices that there are several people standing there by, nearby, and so in a rather loud voice he says, hey, I'll give you some money, and he pulls out a wallet out of his pocket. He starts thumbing through the wallet, looking at different bills that he has. He was going to give the guy a $1 bill, but instead he decides to give the guy a $10 bill. And so he pulls the $10 bill out of his wallet and, and he makes sure that, that people see what he's doing here. And he says, hey, here you go, sir. I just want to bless you today. He, he hands the, the $10 bill to the guy and at the same time he starts taking a selfie of himself. Posts it all over, uh, uh, over social media and he says, hey, look what I just did. And Jesus says, well, if you give in order to be seen by others then you've already received your reward. Because you're not really giving out of a heart of generosity that says, God, I'm compelled to give because of how much you have given to me. No, you're, you're giving so that people will think that you are generous. God says, don't give so that other people can see what you're giving. Give so that only I can see what you're giving. And if you do that, I will reward you in an even greater way than you can imagine. Listen, if you give your cousin $300 because he needed some help, and then you go around, you start telling all of your relatives about it, like, hey, you know, you know what I did the other day? I, I just gave Billy $300 to kind of help him out. And God says, if you do that, you've already got your reward. Generosity is giving out of a heart where God is driving you to give. You give because you understand that God has given so much to you, and you want to give back. And let me tell you, it is much better to get God's reward than it is to get man's reward. He goes on and he talks about prayer here. Prayer works in a very similar way. Verse 5, Jesus says this, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And, then, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. 
Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. What he's saying is, don't just pray uh, out in public, and that's the only time that you pray, in order that you could be seen by other people, in order that you could try to impress other people. When you pray, if you really want God to listen to your prayers, if you really want to connect with the Lord, then pray in private. Go to your closet, go to your storage room, go to that that basement where no one else can see you, just you and God. And as you call out to him, as you plead with him, he will see you and he will reward you. He talks about not heaping up empty phrases like the Gentiles or the pagans do. And I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes here, but some of you actually grew up being taught this very thing. That you were told to go home and to say, ten our fathers. That if you did that, you'd be good with God. But Jesus says that that's just empty words. That's just what the pagans do. That they just recite a prayer and it makes no sense to God. It would be like me coming home to my wife and saying, hey honey, I have something that I want to tell you. Roses are red, violets are blue, and no one's as pretty as you. She says, oh, that's so great. I say, no, 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 wait. Roses are red, violets are blue, and no one's as pretty as you, too. And she says, that's great, I got it. I say, no, 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 no. Roses are red, violets are blue, and no one's as pretty as you, three. Roses are red, violets are blue, and no one's as pretty as you, four. And and she would say, hey, get out of here. I, I, I heard you. Stop just repeating the same thing over and over again to me. Why don't you just talk to me? And sometimes we can walk around thinking that we are repeating a prayer to God somehow and that's going to impress him. But he says, stop babbling. I I I don't want to hear those empty words. Talk to me. Converse with me. Share your heart with me. Listen, you don't need to learn a prayer. You need to learn how to pray. now, Now, some of you might be saying, well, I mean, why would he then give the Lord's Prayer here? Why is the Lord's Prayer even in the Bible? Jesus is actually giving us an example. He's giving us a pattern of how to pray. And this pattern includes worship. It includes looking forward to the kingdom of God coming, understanding how personal, how our personal needs are being met by him, how, um, fall, how we are not to fall in tempta- into temptation, Forgiving others, giving God all of the glory. That's the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. And some of us need to learn how to follow that, to reflect that pattern. Because we can't be a church that has power. We can't be a people of spiritual influence unless we learn the power of prayer. And So we have the habit of giving and the habit of praying, but then the habit of fasting. And what Jesus has been talking about here is our motives. Verse 16, he talks about fasting. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fast- that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and and." Uh, fa- Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He's talking about somebody who's fasting. 
And maybe they get up in the morning and they say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to comb my hair today. Or, or maybe some of you ladies would say things like, I'm not going to put, put on any makeup here. And they say, you know, um, I'm going to find some dirty clothes, clothes that I normally use to clean the house in or work out in the yard in, and I'm going to wear them today. And you show up to church looking all disheveled, and someone says, hey, are you okay? Yeah, I guess. Are you sick? No. Are you sure that something's not wrong with you? Well, if you insist, I'm fasting. Listen, you just lost your reward because you were so dying for someone else to ask you uh, what was going on so that you could tell them what you were doing and so that they would think, wow, this person is really spiritual. But Jesus says that if you fast in order to impress people, you've just lost your reward. Instead, he says, put on your best clothes, comb your hair like you normally do, put on your makeup like you normally do, and look good when you're fasting. What he's saying is that people shouldn't know that you're fasting because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it so that your father in heaven can see that you are giving up food in order to press in to a deeper communion, a deeper, a deeper fellowship with him. You fast and you pray. You, you fast and you seek the Lord because when you fast, what you're saying is, I need you, God, more than I need food. I need God more than I need comfort. I need God more than I need anything else in life. And I will give up anything in order to get close to him. And when we do that for the Lord and not for everyone else around us, God sees. Listen, I want to close the service here by giving you one last thing. Not only does God expect, but God sees. And then finally, God rewards. God rewards Verse uh, seven times, rather, in these verses, the word reward is used. Verse four, it says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's about giving. Verse six, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's about prayer. Verses 17 and 18, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's about fasting. God says, I want to reward your giving, your praying, and your fasting. I want to reward you, and I want you to do it for me. I want you to be motivated out of a love for me, out of a heart's desire to please me, out of your hunger for me. And friends, I want you to know that this reward impacts every area of our lives. Hebrews chapter 11 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. It is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Friends, we have to believe that God exists, that, that this intangible being of the universe that we can't see or touch or grab onto, this spirit God who uh, created the heavens and the earth, this divine being who transforms you even when you can't see him, this, uh, who, who does miracles in your life even though you can't wrap your mind around them, who speaks to you even though you've never heard his voice audibly. We are told that we must believe that he exists and not only that he exists, but that he rewards those who seek him. 
That's what Hebrews says, that, he, that we believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's something powerful about prayer, about faith. There's something powerful about faith where God says, I will honor that faith. That drives us to give, it drives us to pray, it drives us to fast as we fully devote ourselves to him. 